Welcome to Apostolic Life in the 21st Century, a podcast dedicated to helping modern-day believers live out the teachings of the first century church. This podcast is part of the teaching ministry of Dr. David K. Bernard. Dr. Bernard has dedicated his life to studying the Bible and helping believers apply its message to their daily lives. In Apostolic Life in the 21st Century, Dr. Bernard answers your questions about what the Bible teaches and how those teachings apply to everyday life. Thank you for joining us for this broadcast. A recent Gallup poll revealed that one in five Gen Z adults identify as being part of the LGBTQ community. And I think that it reflects a current cultural trend that when it comes to human sexuality, our society seems to recognize pretty much no boundaries or restrictions. And of course, we know that this prevailing attitude directly contradicts the scriptures, which very clearly teach that God put boundaries around human sexual expression. So I'd like you to to cover what what are those boundaries that God put around biblical sexuality? Did Jesus talk about sex or was it just the Old Testament and Paul? Because some people like to pit one against the other. And maybe to frame the question from an unbeliever's point of view, why does God care what consenting adults do behind closed doors? Well, first of all, we must start with the fact that God created us. So he created us for a purpose. God created us to have fellowship with him. Uh, to worship him, to love him, and to have this wonderful reciprocal relationship. Then God did not just create one man. He created a man and a woman because he said it, it wasn't good for the man to be alone. He needed companionship. So he created one man and one woman. He joined them. And in Genesis chapter 2, you can see God's plan for marriage, that the man would leave his father and mother, which means his pre-existing family relationships, be joined to his wife, and the two would become one flesh. So this union is physical, emotional, and spiritual. They were to be treated as one family unit, and the interest of this new unit would supersede the interest of the two individuals separately. While they are still individuals, they're joined together. And then from that, children would be born, and this was God's plan to be fruitful, he said, multiply, fill the earth, replenish the earth. So God plan, God's plan for humans was to reproduce, to multiply, to have family relationships. So of course, sex is a very important gift in that process, number one, for procreation, and number two, for companionship, for joining the husband and wife together in this close family unit. The book of Malachi chapter three says that God hates divorce and he hates it when a man puts the puts away the wife of his youth and breaks covenant. And then he makes an interesting comment because he wants godly offspring. So in other words, for children to be nurtured, to grow up, to be healthy physically, emotionally, spiritually, to be productive members of society and church, they need ideally two parents and not two identical parents, but a man and a woman, a father and a mother. Because Genesis 1 says God created man in his image, male and female. He created them. So to fully express God's, and he made them an image of God, to fully express God's image and to fully express God's plan for humans, it requires both male and female. Now, let me pause to say, if somebody's raised in a single parent home, or if you are a single parent, of course, it's it's not ideal, but there it's not a sentence of doom. 
you trust God, you pray, God's grace makes up the difference. The church can step in and, and offer the things that are needed. So I'm not disparaging, but I'm making a sociological observation, which is true, uh, that this is an interesting point. If someone will, uh, a young person will grow up, graduate from high school, get a job, get married, and have children in that order, 98% will be middle class or higher. Only 2% will live in poverty. And then I don't have the exact statistics in front of me, but children who are raised in a single parent home or especially when there's no father, um, there's a very high correlation multiple times, five or 10 times more correlation with juvenile delinquency, criminal activity, incarceration, alcohol addiction, drug addiction, promiscuity, uh, children born out of wedlock, and so uh, poverty. So all these dysfunctional outcomes, which are the main ills of society that we spend trillions of dollars trying to fix, really go back because we're not following God's plan for marriage and family. So sex is a very strong bond. It's it's strong not only physically, but emotionally and spiritually. And what what people today don't realize, they just think of it as just um, some kind of a casual pleasure. So maybe like taking a drink of alcohol or eating chocolate, well, or, or, or listening to um, a concert. So just having sex. But 1 Corinthians 6 is don't you know that when you're joined to a prostitute, you're joined in spirit. And how can you as a Christian, and you're supposed to be joined to the Lord's spirit, how can you be joined to the spirit of a prostitute? So, And I, I've seen this as a pastor, that when two young people, maybe they love each other, maybe they're infatuated, but when they cross the line to a sexual relationship, it changes. And they think, and typically the girl is more oriented to this, they think, well, if, I, if I'm ready to quit, I just quit. But it's not so easy. They're emotionally bonded. They're spiritually bonded. And even if it's a dysfunctional relationship, a bad relationship, abusive relationship, somehow they can't let go. And logically speaking, hey, if it's a bad relationship and you you start it for pleasure and it's no longer pleasurable, just walk away. Just like if candy makes you sick, stop eating candy. But it's not so simple. And often as a pastor, I could even diagnose when a relationship had gone sexual because I could tell the spiritual bonding that had taken place. Uh, so what I'm saying is there's something far deeper than what our culture understands. And again, when we violate God's word and we repent, God can forgive us. God can help us overcome. But the point is there are consequences, spiritual consequences. So God created sex as for two reasons, procreation, reproduction of the species, and companionship and bonding of marriage as the building block of family, which in turn is the building block of church and of society. So God's gifts can all, all of God's gifts can be either used properly or abused. So every talent, every ability, life, health, strength, intellect can be used uh, to further God's purpose or can be used against God's purpose. So sexuality is one of those beautiful gifts that needs to be used according to God's purpose. So God is not trying to uh, inhibit us or take away our joy or restrict us. He is trying to channel us for what sex is intended to be because he knows the true purpose and the true meaning and the true value. And when we break 
those guidelines, we're hurting ourselves. We're misusing. It's like any gift that we, uh, if we misuse it, it only hurts us. So God's plan is trying to help us, our marriage, our family, our church, our society. When we break those rules, we only hurt ourselves. Romans 1 tells us what's happening in our society, that it says every human being has a certain knowledge of God through creation. We know there's a creator, and we're supposed to worship God and glorify him. But when we don't, when we face truth and refuse to follow it, we never stay neutral. We start going the opposite direction. So the problem with the human race is in every culture, every society, we and we see this in our own culture, when people don't worship God, what do they do? Humans are created to worship. Humans are created for fellowship and companionship. Humans are created for the spiritual. So we refuse to worship God, we're going to find substitutes. So Romans 1 says we worship the, crea- the creature instead of the creator. So people started making idols. So they're worshiping things their hands have made. And these idols are often animals and, and other things. So things God created, instead of worshiping the creator, they worship created things. Well, what happens when you start worshiping creation? Well, then you start worshiping the human body because the human body is one of the most amazing creations of God. And so then when you worship the body, you focus on pleasure of all kinds. You focus on sexual pleasure and you stop thinking about why God gave you pleasure, what's it for, and why God gave you sex and what's it for, and you just focus on worshiping. Instead of worshiping God, which would be to follow his plan, you worship the creation, which means you worship the body, which means you worship sex, but that doesn't give you ultimate satisfaction because it's misusing the gift. And this is a psychological truth that's documented But when humans seek pleasure in other things, there's the law of diminishing returns. So let's say you eat a piece of chocolate, you love it. So you eat a second piece and a third piece. Finally, there's a point where it's nauseating and you hate it. Or let's say addiction. Somebody gets addicted or somebody starts using drugs. Well, after a while, that same amount of drugs no longer gives you the same high. So you have to take more or you graduate to harder and harder drugs just to try to recapture the same initial euphoria. Pornography, same thing. You start with pornography that excites you, but after a while, it doesn't really give the same pleasure. So you go to more explicit and harder stuff. Same with sex. And so if you look for sex for your ultimate pleasure, after a while, it no longer provides that. So you go, okay, new partners, different people, break more rules, break more conventions. And the Bible even talks about it. And so they go against nature. So even if you're an atheist and just believe in evolution and biology, well, homosexuality would be dysfunctional. It wouldn't provide the survival of the fittest. It it would be at best an aberration or a mistake uh, from a scientific point of view. But, uh, you know, humans are seeking more and more. And so Romans 1 says they are not satisfied with sexual promiscuity. So they go into what's against nature homosexual behavior. But even then, that doesn't satisfy them. So they end up what the King James calls a reprobate mind, or what that really means is it's not saying they can't be saved necessarily. It's saying a mind that's lost the distinction between right and wrong. And that's what happened in in our society. Look at the transgender phenomena where they're now taking small children and trying to give them puberty blockers and surgery that mutilates the body, they're going to be forever sterile. They're never going to have a normal development. Well, even from a scientific 
biological or even evolutionary point of view. That's dysfunctional. So if a person does have a dysfunctional thought, you would try to cure them. You would try to give them therapy, cognitive therapy, help them realign their mistaken beliefs to the reality of their body, not to mutilate their body because of some idea in their mind. And now what's happening is culture is promoting this. And the, the causes of, of homosexuality and transgenderism are complex, but a lot of it has to do with broken homes, dysfunctional families, absent fathers or um, uh, overprotective mothers or, or just dysfunctional or abusive relationships. A lot of it has to do with early sexual exper- experiences when a person is just entering puberty. They're trying to find out what is right, what is normal, what is to be expected. And if they're exposed to to physical action or even uh, psychological uh, manipulation or indoctrination, then their thoughts can be skewed. So I do feel that a lot of young people are experimenting or thinking because our culture is molding them. Dysfunctional families and aggressive culture and ideology is molding them. But it's all contrary to God's plan. Now, I, I will make a, a comment here is that when somebody is caught in this, I'm not saying they're a worse sinner than anybody else. But I do believe when you see this trend, it's showing that society is going further and further away from God. So the individual that's caught in it bears responsibility. But I see them as a victim. They're trapped in a dysfunctional culture. And of course, the gospel can come and, and break them free from that. And they, they do have a responsibility to respond to God. But I think it's important for us not to attack or hate or ridicule or despise people in these various sins. We despise the sin, but we've got to be careful. Here is a lost soul. Here is someone created the image of God, someone for whom Jesus Christ died. And we have the answer that will set them free from habitual sin and actually give them a healthy whole life. And I would argue that sexuality in God's plan is healthy and wholesome. And psychological studies have actually shown that married couples in general, and Christian couples in particular, generally have a a greater, not only actual sex life, but also greater fulfillment and meaning and purpose and joy than people who are promiscuous or who are in temporary relationships. So while from a physical standpoint, it may seem they're getting more physical enjoyment, they're not getting the holistic, emotional, and spiritual enjoyment. And Truth be told, many of these people end up with a very poor sex life, even from their own standards. In other words, they're not having the kind of sexual life or experience that they envisioned uh, because uh, they don't have the opportunity and they don't have the relationships. In other words, when you try to separate the physical sex from everything else, you end up hurting even the physical side. And, and studies have shown that people that are involved in pornography actually end up having a worse sexual relationship. And people that go through multiple affairs and multiple marriages, it's actually harder to have a wholesome relationship when they actually, when they really want to have a relationship. They've, they've already built in some uh, roadblocks, uh, not only for physical sex, but, but emotional intimacy. And also I would say that this is one of those areas where more experience is not better because two unique human beings, there's no two exactly the same. So when a young man and a young woman get married and they have no prior sexual relationship, that is not a disadvantage. Uh, 
because they're not learning how to have sex in general. They're learning how to build a relation with that one person. Prior experience doesn't help you. It can actually hurt you. As you learn and explore every dimension physically, emotionally, spiritually, you have to learn that unique person and that unique relationship. No two people are alike and no two relationships are alike. That's why Hebrews 13, marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers or fornicators, God will judge. So within marriage, that sexual relationship, we shouldn't tamper with it. We shouldn't delve into that. And that's why I think, yes, there are times when you might need professional counseling, medical counseling, or or maybe even psychological counseling. But we should guard the sacredness of marriage between a man and a woman. And uh, you don't need to know everything everybody else is doing. You need to know what you are doing. Uh, you need to please each other. Um, you don't need to have all kinds of experience. That actually becomes hurtful when you're trying to build this relationship. And whatever uh, lack of experience that you have, you you forge that experience with that one person. And so what I'm trying to say is when we do it God's way, you actually have a better relationship in every dimension. So going back to the premise of your question, why does God want to restrict us? Actually, he's not. He's trying to show us this wonderful gift he's given us, what its real purpose is, and how to maximize both the benefit and enjoyment. Ironically, by trying to take it in our own, do it our own way for what we think is our own enjoyment, we actually kill the joy and we destroy the purpose. But we do it God's way. We try, we find the true pleasure and the true fulfillment the way God intended all along. Thank you for listening to this episode of Apostolic Life in the 21st Century. If you enjoy this podcast, please take a moment to give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. We also appreciate it when you share Apostolic Life in the 21st Century with a friend or family member. Finally, join us again next time as we look at how the Bible applies to everyday life.